Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Reaching Extinction podcast. This month, we're going to have a couple very special episodes because it is Orca Month. So this week, I talked with Howard Garrett about how he um, started Orca Month and what Orca Month means. It's also Pride Month, so happy Pride Month to all of our homosexuals um, and other members of the LBGT community. So yay! Um, I was going to list all of the events happening for Orca Month. However, there are tons of events, so it's probably easier for you guys to just check it out online. I'm going to go ahead and link um, that below, so definitely go check that out. There's tons of events to get involved in. It looks like there's pretty much something every day, and on some days there's even two events. So if you guys are itching to learn more and get more involved, definitely go check that out. This week's Whale of the Week is J36 Alki. Alkai is the third offspring of Slick, that's J16. She has an older brother named Mike, J26, and a living sister, Echo, J42. Alkai had her first offspring, a male named Sonic, J52, just three months after her mother had given birth to her sister, Scarlet. Both of these energetic um, young calves lived short lives, and Alkai is now 22 years old. So that's our Whale of the Week, and just a quick message from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash breachingextinction and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's easy. Go to audible.com slash breachingextinction. But welcome back to Breaching Extinction, everybody. I've got Howard Garrett back with us again this week, and we are going to talk about Orca Month. So how are you doing today, Howard? Uh, real well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. Awesome. Um, so June is officially Orca Month, and you and your partner Susan started Orca Month. Is that correct? Right, we did. Uh, yeah, in uh, 2014, and it was to get the word out, you know, to talk about Southern residents and, and celebrate that they live here. They're our neighbors. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the history of Orca Month and what motivated you to start that. Well, it actually it started on a suggestion of uh, Silver Lake Winery. Okay. Uh, they uh, had uh, bottled uh, five varietals of Orca wine, mm-hmm. and they wanted to use it to... Uh, to celebrate orcas and and to sort of have a partnership. So for a year or so, I think two years, uh, we did a lot of events, a lot of, um, you know, gatherings and, and, uh, you know, at the, at the, the tasting room Mm -hmm. and other events and uh, talked about orcas and got the word out and got a little media. And then we took it over from there and have just uh you know built it up 
ever since then. Uh, about six or seven years ago, uh, the, the coalition of environmental and, orca and salmon related organizations mm -hmm. called the Orca Salmon Alliance uh, joined in with us and have been sort of cooperating and making it a big group effort ever since then. That's awesome. So what kind of events and things can people look forward to during Orca Month? I know I'm sure that this year is different and last year was different because of COVID. Yeah, right. Well, there are virtual webinars, mm -hmm. a regular set of them. Uh, you can find them at uh, orcamonth.com. Uh, it has evolved into Orca Action Month uh, mm -hmm. a few years ago, 2018, I believe. Uh, the decision was... Well, it's not enough just to celebrate them. We've got to suggest what can be done to help them uh, because they're in more and more dire straits. And so really needed to do some things that were actions. So it's um, Orca Action Month. Um, and uh, there's one, for instance, on uh, June 3rd mm -hmm. on the familial connections, the networks, the family patterns. Uh, within the community of Southern residents. So uh, that's sort of a sample of them, and you can find others on the orcamonth.com site. Awesome. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about those family groups and social structures? Well, that's sort of the beauty of Orca Month, is <laughs> you get to talk about the really astounding natural history of of southern residents and orcas worldwide mm -hmm. uh, but they're all unique and they all and this is what is astounding is that they form into communities into intact cohesive lifetime membership communities uh, that develop their own ways their own diets their own communication system their own patterns of using their habitat and and their their sort of their social behaviors you know there's mm -hmm. different kinds of whether they're ceremonies or or celebrations or just uh, social events of different kinds uh each community sort of develops their own over the millennia over the really hundreds and thousands of generations so it's a really exciting story to tell. So Orca Month is sort of a vehicle, a way to to uh, be able to present that in the spirit of, of celebrating that they're here, honoring their presence, appreciating that they are all around us, basically. They live in these waters. We're, we're basically beside their home. So uh, it's good to know about them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you think is most important for people to know about the Southern residents? I'm sorry, uh, your question got lost, it dropped. Oh, um, what do you think is most important for people to know about the Southern residents? Well, they're unique. Mm -hmm. There's no other community around the world like them. And the more I hear about other orchids worldwide, even their closest relatives, uh, the northern residents on the north end of Vancouver Island, uh, southern residents are different. They're more, I don't know what it is, uh, more sort of enthusiastic. They're more social. They're more gregarious and, and have more kind of, you know, excited 
gatherings. Mm-hmm. They come together. They seem to enjoy each other's presence and and have uh, you know a real party when they do, especially around special events like the birth of the calf mm-hmm. or events that we don't know what they are, but they just gather and and get into these uh, you know just kind of enth- you can see by the surface activity that they're just. You know, very, uh, I mean, you, you can feel the joy. You can mm-hmm. feel the sort of the, the, the physical expression of the excitement. And and uh, I think they're, they do that more than any other. But it's also good to know about their, their really their ancient history. Mm-hmm. This is part of their kind of a astounding uh, story is that they actually are descendants of Atlantic orchids that specialized in Atlantic salmon. Oh. There's only one species there, so it's a little different, but mm-hmm. at one of the interglacials, probably about 140,000 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, not sure about the exact timing, but uh, some group of those orcas in the Atlantic came over into the Pacific. And when they did, the uh, what we know as transients, the mammal-eating orcas were already here. Mm-hmm. They'd been here for who knows how many hundreds of thousands of years before that. But these fish-eating residents, as we call them, uh, migrated out into different locations that are real good prime salmon habitat, all the way from Kamchatka, Russia, mm-hmm to west of Alaska, to the Prince William Sound and the Gulf of Alaska, and the northern residents and southern residents. So there are five different communities of fish-eating orcas that are very similar, but they haven't had any contact or any interbreeding or anything for who knows how many thousands of generations. But uh, they're kind of similar. But the southern residents spilled into essentially the Salish Sea uh, and the coast along Washington mainly, but also a little bit of British Columbia and down the coast as far as California Mm -hmm. um, and availed themselves on the plentiful and abundant year-round runs of big fat Chinook salmon. Mm -hmm. And especially the ones that go way up the mountains uh, to high elevations, uh, up the Elwha, up the Snake, uh, up to three, 4,000 feet of elevation, they get big, mm-hmm. or they did once, unfortunately, because of all the obstructions and all the habitat destruction. They're not so big anymore, but right. historically, they were just really big, fatty, high-calorie fish. Mm-hmm. Excellent, perfect diets for an orca. So they could survive entirely. It was their foundation of their diet and their culture, basically, was to uh, feast on these Chinook salmon. Absolutely. And obviously we now know that with the Chinook salmon being threatened, that the orcas are threatened as well. Um, And I think, you know, Orca Month is a great opportunity to highlight what we can do for the orcas. so, you know, I've had you on here and we've talked about the It's About Damn Time campaign, trying to get the dams down. What else can people do? Obviously, we need to continue to push for dam removal. Um, but what other actions can we take to help restore salmon? Well, it's a matter of uh, spreading that awareness, mm-hmm. for one thing. 
just making it, uh, you know, the, the consensus among everybody. And it really has changed. I mean, that's well underway, you know, in the last 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. You can definitely see the change in people's attitudes and, and just understanding their awareness, their inclusion of orcas and what orcas need in their their thoughts and their understanding of their world. Mm-hmm. And But it, it, it needs to go further. There needs to be more of that understanding of their their dire situation right now and how closely correlated it is with the lack of salmon and to do everything possible uh, you know we can we can build new sources of electricity we can build new transportation systems we can adapt to different kinds of you know agriculture and irrigation and bring back an extinct species and these southern residents are just so precious they're so uh well loved by so many people uh and that really is the key to their survival is that that uh emotion that affection for them um so i just would recommend people uh learn more about them and express that to people and specifically it is a political problem because this is a you know it's a power situation it's sort of who has the power to make the decisions mm-hmm. uh it's a good sign that there's recently uh, a big push to uh, remove the culverts that are blocking fish passage but in reality not many of those culverts block chinook Mm. Uh, but it's 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 a, a lot of money for not a lot of payoff in terms of return. I mean, it'll help. Um, the you know dam removals um, on the uh, on the Pilchuck River in the South Fork or the Nooksack River, uh, those are are good good efforts. Mm. Um, and there's now a lot of talk about the dams on the Skagit River mm-hmm. uh, that. Uh, do block some salmon migrations up up uh, the, the mountains. So, uh, you know, all of that is on behalf of the orcas. I love to see it. I'm the, you know, to help the southern residents to survive. But it's not enough. Yeah. Uh, we still need to restore every kind of river. And, of course, it comes back to their primary source, or at least their their major source for especially the uh, the winter and spring months historically mm-hmm. has been the upper columbia salmon especially the snake river mm-hmm. the snake river is about uh, an equal tributary it had more than half mm-hmm. of the salmon were produced were bond in that snake river watershed that whole basin that is from central southern idaho pristine habitat still but lacking in salmon Mm -hmm. but they can't get there and back Mm -hmm. so uh you know that that would be a a huge step you know the biggest bang for the buck would be to restore the snake river to natural passage absolutely um i know that you have worked a lot with different indigenous groups can you share a little bit about some of the relationships between orcas and um, the tribal groups in washington well the 
the tribes around the Salish Sea and up the Columbia River mm-hmm. uh, also, much like the Orcas, sort of base their their ways, their settlements, and their their diet and their their sort of their social gatherings around the salmon. Mm-hmm. The salmon have always been so important. They have other sources, and you know there's variations on that, but primarily salmon has been extremely important for them. Um, and they are seeing that uh, the you know the Columbia and the Snake River salmon are important to them here around the Salish Sea. Mm-hmm. So they're really beginning, and really. It's not just beginning that the restoration of salmon has been, you know, a number one priority mm-hmm. for them for I don't know how many you know years or decades, but there are just a lot of little efforts, and you know that's there's a lot of untold stories of the restoration of salmon just by you know small, not well publicized efforts mm-hmm. to. Uh, you know, restore a, a little a river bank. You mm-hmm. know, to plant some trees to prevent cattle from you know defecating in the stream. To mm-hmm. um, you know, and restore wetlands and estuaries and and uh, there's a lot of effort now to at least control uh, a lot of the the shore hardening. Mm-hmm. The, uh, know the the walls you know that hold the land up you know but they also prevent the kind of normal uh mixing the the sort of the interaction between the land and the sea Mm -hmm. that provides the spawning habitat or if not the salmon the forage fish the Mm -hmm. salmon depend on so it's all part of the the whole ecosystem and you know that is a sort of a key to the whole awareness that's needed is an ecosystem awareness and mm-hmm. understanding of all these connections. You know, the word ecology itself is only 40 or 50 years old. Mm-hmm. So that the idea of ecosystems that even, you know, minute organisms, even plankton and eelgrass and, and just natural production that has been seen before as, uh, well, you know, wasteland is unnecessary. Mm-hmm you know, is actually key, you know, to the support of the entire ecosystem, including the big animals, Mm -hmm. fish, and the whales. So, you know, when people think that way, then it's much better understood that that keeping a a little creek or river clean and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, allowing uh, basically the natural processes, eelgrass and everything else to grow, uh, is so important for everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I saw PNW Protectors just launched a new campaign about keeping the entire ecosystem in check. Um, and then I remember yes. Colleen, I believe her last name is Weiler, said that orcas are kind of like the gateway to the rest of the environment. Like we get people hooked with the orcas and then they start to care about other stuff. And that brings us back to Orca Month. Yes. Celebrate the orcas, you begin to see what they need, and that just moves all the way into the entire, you know, biological production of the ecosystem. And and uh, so I see where she's going with that for sure. Absolutely. So 
you know, if people want to celebrate Orca Month, what would you recommend that they do? If they live in the state of Washington, how can they take care of their ecosystems that, you know, impact the orcas? Well, you know, there are so many small-scale regional efforts around. Um, the, uh, the, the former golf course in Bothell, for instance, the uh, Wayne Golf Course, I think, Whale Scout is working on restoring that habitat from being a, you know, over-chemically fertilized golf course to becoming, you know, a more, you know, rich and productive, uh, basically a creek side, a creek mm-hmm. ran through it, still does, and to restore that. That, you know, it doesn't get a lot of publicity, but that's the kind of thing uh, on Whidbey Island, we, we have the uh, the South Whidbey Stewards, uh, formerly the was called the Salmon Adventure, mm-hmm. and it's just a little creek, Glendale Creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's the Maxwell Creek as well as Glendale Creek are both uh, on South Whidbey, and mm-hmm. they have um, they have chum salmon. Okay, you know which are part of the diet for mm-hmm. Southern residents and. You know, so there's just a lot of efforts and a lot of education, mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, classroom talks to bring up a whole new generation that knows these things, mm-hmm. understands about creeks and salmon and orcas and yeah. everything else. Uh, so that there's a lot of changes in that way. And the more people can get involved, mm-hmm. whether it's education, whether it's making connections so that there are talks and education in different places or or just finding out what's being done near them uh, maybe mm-hmm. it's a beach cleanup you know different different things that can be done almost everyone can find something to pitch into and there are all these uh, these webinars now mm-hmm. we're in a you know a, a, a world of zoom mm-hmm. with uh, so many different talks being given and and they're fantastic we're able to hear from people mm-hmm. around the world you know some legendary authorities on all things whale and mm-hmm. ocean and and we're able to actually interact with them mm-hmm. and you know that's fantastic so you know take part in that and and get get to know more and and become more familiar with the field. That way you're more confident to share that kind of information. So all of that sort of changes society, reorients our priorities, and that can make big changes. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I think the more knowledge that people gain, the more confidence they have when talking to politicians and writing letters about why we should help the animals or how we can help the animals. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's all part of, you know, the catchphrase is uh, raising awareness, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, that actually means a lot because it's becoming aware of the world around us, our mm-hmm. surrounding, our own natural habitat. We do share this habitat with mm-hmm. the orcas, with the, you know, every other bird and, and critter and plant that is out there and, and growing. And so, you know, we need to take care of our own habitat as well as everyone else's so absolutely yeah awesome um and can you share maybe with our listeners why it is that you care so much about orcas and why you think they're important to save well i've kind of grown into it Mm -hmm. um in 1980 i didn't know anything about whales or 
really it wasn't it wasn't on my radar. I was mm. not aware. Uh, but then I came out and got an opportunity to work with the Center for Whale Research. Mm. Uh, it, it was just ORPA survey, mm-hmm. but it was the same work. Uh, the demographic studies based on the photo identification method, uh, which meant just going out and getting photos, you know, with a good long lens at a good safe distance and mm-hmm. putting along uh, to get the right and left side of the dorsal fin and saddle patch of each orca. Uh, and from that, we've learned so much about them. And that being a sort of a participant or at least a, an excited observer in that time of discovery, you know, has just hooked me forever. And in the process, had these uh, just kind of experiences, seeing them, and, and they're so mysterious because mm-hmm. you feel their power. You feel, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of an emotional connection that is very hard to, to describe into words or to prove mm-hmm. <laughs> but they 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 sort of give you a sense of uh their their otherness their power their their confidence uh they're they're not skittish they have nothing to be afraid of they've mm-hmm. been the top predator in the ocean for you know eight or ten million years uh so nothing can touch an orca they don't have that flight or fight response you know that almost every other animal does they just don't have the anxieties mm-hmm. and you see it in their movements you know i mean mm-hmm. they, they change their minds they change direction change behavior they get together they play and they mm-hmm. they move out and and maybe you know uh, spread out to mm-hmm. to forage over a larger area like mm-hmm. they're having to do a lot now because mm-hmm. of the of the salmon that they need uh, but you know it all is is thought out you mm-hmm. can feel that it's very conscious mm-hmm. every everything they do they, you just sort of get a sense that it's very deliberate mm-hmm. you know it's very uh on purpose on their part and and they are they'll adapt you know they'll they'll move around mm-hmm. uh sometimes you know they they ride the wakes. They surf on the wakes of big ships going by. You know, they'll yeah. they'll, they'll take a few minutes and have a good time, um, and they just get together and party sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of get a sense of there is so much going on there. There is so much communication of all different kinds. It may be acoustic. A lot of it is acoustic, and we can tap into that here, record it. Uh, but there's more than that going on. There's some kind of uh, mutual understanding and and uh, sharing of their own each one's awareness. Or, mm-hmm. and it is so mysterious because we we do, we can't we can't track it. We can't we can't see exactly what they're doing. But you know they're doing something that is you know they know what they're doing is sure. what's important and. And you get that feel for it. So that's what, you know, it never gets old. Yeah. Even after decades, when when I see them and everybody else I know that's been watching them for a long time, uh, it's just exciting. It's just so interesting to see what they're doing. And it sort of brings up that curiosity that is is the springboard of science and art. You know, to what's going on out there? 
and it does inspire so many people, me included. Yeah, absolutely. I found that one of the cool things about the Southern residents is the community of people around them. That was one of the first things I noticed when getting involved is there's so many people that know and love the Southern residents and are willing to help them. And so many people follow like certain family groups and different stories. And I think that's one of the really cool things about them is that they bring everybody together. They sure do. Mm -hmm. And they promote sharing. Mm -hmm. No, and it's sharing that is really uh, just so, so uh, joyful. I mean, it's so willingly, uh, you know, offered to people, you know, your, your whale stories, and then you, you sort of compare in photos, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it just, it, it brings out the best in people, mm-hmm. seems to me. Yeah. Oh, whale magic. Whale magic. I like that. Um, do you have any particular favorite individuals or family groups? Oh, like so many of us, I have seen more of J-Pod and watched a lot of uh, J-Pod babies, mm-hmm. you know, grow up and become mature and have their own babies. And and there have been, you know, joys and also tragedies, you know, mm-hmm. so many losses over the years. Um, there was a family that's only a remnant at this point, uh, the J-10s. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the 90s uh, that, uh, you know, she had three babies, uh, one male, two females, uh, J18, J20, and J22. And they were just such a tight family. They just always traveled, I mean, just side by side all the time. Mm -hmm. And you just got the feeling they're they're so, uh, you know, loyal to each other. Mm -hmm. They're just, uh, they're, they're just sort of, sort of uh, bonded, but it's not like a, a negative thing. It's all because they love each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've, they've had some tragedies, some serious tragedies, but uh, they, they do go on. And and uh, now there's only one of the offspring that has now had her babies and, and has, uh, you know, it you know spread the family out a little bit you know so mm-hmm. it goes on but it's just so fascinating to watch the generations you know overcome tragedy and setbacks and 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 continue on so i watch them with great interest yeah absolutely um they definitely do seem like a very resilient species in general i mean you know they've been through the harpooning of like when people thought that they were pests and then they went through the capture era and then now they're starving and they still continue to fight. And then they still continue to party, like you say. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. And, you know, another thing about them is sort of the lack of aggression and hostility, mm-hmm. you know, between each other. Most big mammal species uh, kind of joust, whether it's males or females, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, sort of vying for position, for dominance of some kind. We just don't see that with orcas at all. And with all of those, uh, you know, insults and, and, uh, you know, assaults on them from the captivity era, from being shot at, Mm -hmm. you know, previously, they don't strike back. They, They, you know, we haven't seen them even when they were being captured and 
the you know the babies were being separated the moms were being pushed away with pointy sticks you know so they could get a net around the babies and there were people in the water or in little rowboats and they could have been thrashed Mm -hmm. you know that could have been uh (laughs) end of their days but Mm -hmm. But the orcas didn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some kind of a moral code in them to not do that kind of great harm. And, and you know, the exception proves the rule. There are a few times over history, especially in captivity, mm-hmm. uh, when they do, you know, right. strike out. But as a rule, you know, it, it's it's a rule, literally a tradition within their family and their species, it mm-hmm. seems, worldwide that you know you don't aggress you don't you don't attack on anything you know except for food or maybe they're practicing Mm -hmm. uh but you know it's some kind of you know group organized event and usually just the absolutely um that's it why do you think that they're different from other animals in that way? Because most animals, if you tried to capture them and do what was done to orcas, they would absolutely fight back. Yes. I don't totally understand it, but I think some of that is that they have been the top predator. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, nothing has been able to touch them. So right. they really haven't had a need to develop that reflex mm-hmm. right back. Yes. Uh, so, and that behavior has become encoded in their culture. Mm-hmm. And that's really the, the critical thing that that changes everything about them mm-hmm. is the fact that they are, you know, members in good standing mm-hmm. from, from learning. You know, it's not genetic. Yes. It's not something... You know, that uh, they uh, were just born with, yes. exactly, except, you know, even before they're born, they're, they're hearing their families, you know, once mm-hmm. their ears develop, even in the womb, they're hearing these conversations going on all the time. Uh, so they, they sort of, you know, enter the world already familiar with, you know, they don't know which whales are making what sounds, but they know that there's been a lot of a lot of conversations going on. Uh, so they're already learning the ways of their family, learning their, their traditions and their cultures, even before they're born. And they're so precocious, you know, after about 18 months of gestation, they come out pretty well developed. Mm-hmm. And they're already, you know, able to certainly, you know, listen and begin to mimic a lot of those calls. Mm-hmm. And within a few months, they seem to be able to converse, basically, to participate. And they're catching fish within a year or whatever is their prey. You know, they're a part of that, Mm -hmm. you know, within their first year or, you know, or two in some cases. But uh, at a very young age, very precocious. So they just, they grow up so well developed. Absolutely. Well, yeah, there's, there's so much about orcas and I feel like, you know, whales are, are teaching us more about culture within non-human animals. And I'm sure there's other animals out there that we have no idea. Um, but I feel like we've learned so much from whales in like the last 10 or 20 years culture-wise. And it's astonishing to see. It really is. And uh, it's still rocking the scientific community. 
It was 20 years ago that the sort of the landmark paper, Culture in Whales and Dolphins, was published. And that was a completely thorough review of all the science of basically all animals that had been observed or any of that, uh, you mm-hmm. know, primates and other whales and and sort of the whole theory of culture in animals and and uh, concluded that, that you know, orcas or sinus orca has developed a degree of culture that is without parallel except in humans. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. Absolutely. And so... There, there are other animals, of course, you know, large mammals, especially uh, other animals. And there's a lot more kinds of learning going on uh, that we're just discovering. Carl Safina wrote a great book on that, on how animals bring up their young. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they teach them how their young will learn, you know, mostly by observation and example, but... Um, but it's hard to say sometimes, you know, how much of that is deliberate upbringing, raising their young. Yes. So that goes on a lot, and all of that is a kind of culture. Absolutely. Or does it taken it to an nth degree, you know, to a level of, of just permanent 24-7 lifetime membership within that family, within that culture? Yes. Behave accordingly. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, one of the questions I always like to ask people is, what can we learn from the whales? Oh, well, I think we can learn that when you know your world, when you're fully conscious and aware of, of your your habitat, your surroundings, mm-hmm. uh, you adapt and, and you you form your culture to fit your your habitat, fit your world. Uh, you form your ways, you form your your thought processes, you know, your ceremonies, your gatherings, your priorities and your values, mm-hmm. you know, are based on what's available, what's there, what you can partake of. And also it's a it's a it's a goal. It's almost like a you know <laughs> uh, impossible dream, but you know it's so much better to live without hostility, without aggression, without uh, having to you know constantly be on guard and and be ready with defenses. Uh, they don't need that. They don't bother with that, you know. I mean, it's there may be agreements and treaties and sort of you know understandings like between transients and residents, mm-hmm. but they're 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 good. They're good with that, you know. It works. Mm-hmm. They're they're very safe given those understandings. So it's about reaching those understandings so that you can you know, leave the conflict behind and just you know enjoy life and think creatively and and uh and be and enjoy you know your your family mm-hmm. enjoy your your people <laughs> you know that's really something that they have mastered over the millennia and I, I think we can learn a lot from that yeah i think so i mean they're like you were saying they're very in tune to their environment and i think 
kind of the way that we live with like, you know, money and hostility and other things that didn't necessarily come from our environment, I think really kind of muddy our way of living and our priorities. So I think that, you know, they are definitely are a good example for how to live if we're viewing them in that way. You think so? Yes. Yeah, I, I think they're a positive influence on everybody I know. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> that watches them. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Uh, well, do you have any final thoughts for people, um, or is there anything that you want to plug before we sign off here? Well, let's make June uh, a very special Orca month and and uh, celebrate it. I mean, it should be all year, but you know, we can <laughs> just have one special time, and that'll spill over into the rest of the year because. We can all learn so much. Absolutely. Awesome. And for everybody listening, I'll be sure to post this week's Orca events. And for the rest of the month, I'll just be updating you guys with what events Orca month um, or what events are going on during Orca month. So stay tuned for that. But thank you so much for joining us, Howard. That was a great conversation. Thank you, Erica. I've enjoyed all of it. Good. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. I hope you are enjoying Orca Month. Definitely go check out Orca Month's website and find all the awesome events going on. I guarantee you there's something for everyone because they have all different types of events. A lot of them are online, so they're easy to access if you're not from Washington. Um, But definitely go check those out. And as always, um, give us a review on here, like, share, or anything of our posts on Facebook and Instagram. Um, And have a great week.